welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. In this first special episode of 2022, I speak with the joyful attorney, Laura Kelly. Laura, of course, is an established and well-respected immigration attorney representing clients in all realms of immigration law, but she's additionally a professional certified mindset coach. In that capacity, she presents and offers courses and coaching sessions for attorneys, other professionals, and really anyone at all who is, quote, looking for a fundamental change in their life or who wants to enhance skills and techniques to boost their practice, end quote. Or is just trying not to burn out. I'm in. And actually, I got some free wellness advice this episode. We spoke on February 1st, and really, as always, I learned a lot. Laura also has her own podcast titled The Joyful Attorney, available on pretty much all podcast platforms and in the show notes. Her episodes are much shorter than mine, so give it a listen. I promise you that you'll end up a little happier. Now, the interview. So Laura, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get to it, I, I want you to know, as with all guests on the podcast, I do a bit of research beforehand, type the name into Google, sometimes into Westlaw. And with your name, are you aware that there is a Laura Kelly governor of Kansas? I am aware. What do you think of this, this pseudo Laura Kelly? Well, she spelled her name incorrectly. That's what I think. <laughs> I, didn't do my, I didn't do my research deeply enough. <laughs> I got an extra E, but I think she's awesome. You know, <laughs> okay. do, you, do you know anything about her? Or are you just saying because her name is Laura Kelly? Well, I know who she is because her name is Laura Kelly. And nice. when she was elected, I was like, I got elected governor. And actually, it comes up every election cycle for some reason. There is a Kevin Gregg, actually. Well, there's a Kevin C. Gregg out in Los Angeles who is a very excellent immigration attorney. So he's literally my arch nemesis because I am Kevin A. Gregg. It's, it's bad. It's bad for both of us. We've talked about it many times. 
sorry, there was another Laura Kelly the same year I took the bar exam. Um, so that was <laughs> how to make sure both of us passed. Did she pass? He did. The other Kevin Gregg was a former baseball pitcher. Actually, I think he was on the Marlins for a bit. And now he's in immigration law too. <laughs> the standard track of Major League Baseball and immigration practice. Man. Tale as old as time. So Laura Kelly, you are partner at the law firm Duque Kelly. You're a long-term immigration practitioner before USCIS, the immigration courts. You've been around. You're pretty established. Uh, I'm going to just say it. You are well-regarded in the immigration community as a great immigration attorney. We're not here to talk about all that today, but uh, I want to say that. What we're here today is to talk about your new project, kind of new project, right? The Joyful Attorney and the Joyful Attorney podcast. But before we get to that, um, you know, I, I like to talk about people's background and their history. What's your immigration practice been like and uh, what's going on? Well, my immigration practice has been great over the last, you know, 12 months, fortunately. And, you know, there's been a lot of change in the practice. And I know we're going to talk about that as to why I started the Joyful Attorney. But I'm I'm in transition right now. So I'm transitioning out of my current firm, Duque Kelly and Associates, and I'm going back to a solo practice. Um, and I'm honestly extremely excited about it. Um, it's a big step when you're in partnership and you have a team to kind of go back on your own can be really scary, but I see it as an exciting opportunity. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It seems scary to me. I'm sure you're going to do great. I've never been out on my own. I've worked, you know, I worked three years with the government. I've worked with nonprofits. I've been with the Curtis Band Law Firm for a while now. It seems really scary to me, but I've never done it. Well, I actually, so when I started my practice, I was coming from Spain. I was barred in California. I picked immigration because I spoke Spanish and I didn't want to take another bar exam. So I had no idea it was going to end up being my calling. I initially started at a nonprofit um, as I just basically volunteering. And then I worked for a small firm and I lasted seven months. I <laughs> didn't make it longer than that and decided that if I was kind of thrown into the fire, like I was with that firm, I could do it on my own. And so I had my own solo practice for five years before partnering with Carlos Duque. So I've been there. The partnership was great. We're going in different directions. And I'm excited to basically use everything I've learned, um, not only in immigration practice, but from other practitioners in my networking events. There's so much good information, so much innovation going on. How can we really use technology and innovation to make our firms more efficient and so we can provide better service to our clients? Uh, I, I think that's really exciting. So yeah, I'm it's a great opportunity. And um, I know that it's going to be the best for both Carlos and his team and me and my team. Well, if there's anybody who is qualified to deal with this stressful event, I'm sure it's you, the joyful attorney and certified wellness coach. I listen to the podcast because it's really interesting to me and it's really important. I mean, for example, before we started recording, we were talking about the former Miss USA, who as of the time of this recording, um, recently it appears committed suicide. She was also an attorney. And so it just seems like this tragically sad event. I guess this this conversation seems really timely. It seemed important before and even more important now. I completely agree. And it's not just um, for the loss of this 
beautiful, young, talented attorney. Um, but we've seen in our community a number of deaths recently. And it's not just suicide, but there have been cases of, you know, um, heart attacks, substance abuse. There's just a lot that happens. And it, it is timely. It is relevant. We are working ourselves to death and it doesn't have to be that way. Now, I don't know what her situation was that would lead her to make that decision. But what I do know is that all of it is connected. There's always a confluence. There's not just one thing, especially with the pandemic. I think with all the isolation that we've experienced, that's huge in depression. It's huge with stress. So I think we have to talk about this. The more we talk about our own experiences and what other people are dealing with, I think it makes us feel less isolated and gives us the ability to find hope. I agree. And so let's get into it. And I'll admit, I I know that this is important. I know that this is a real thing. But I also, like I think a lot of attorneys have no experience in this, come at it a bit skeptic. The concept of wellness, well-being, and especially in the attorney world. And, you know, I'll say it right off the bat, when I invited you to come on the show, you sent me this meme. And I'm going to use this meme to promote this episode so people might have already seen it. And just to describe it for everyone, it's this, you know, Batman and Robin meme where Robin is saying, my workload is unmanageable. And Batman is slapping him across the face saying, here's a well-being seminar which I really find it really funny. But that's that's the issue, right? Attorneys are overworked. We don't really control our own schedules. Even USCIS sets interviews with two weeks notice. The immigration courts are all over the place. The filing deadlines build up. It's largely about the work. I don't see how wellness and well-being seminars get to that root cause, but I also know that I'm wrong. So tell me why, so tell me why I'm wrong. Well, Kevin, I can't tell you that you're wrong. You're not wrong. That's why the meme is so funny. You know? <laughs> like the truth of the matter is, is that there's so many firms that will play lip service to wellness by offering a seminar. And that's not wellness. You're right. It's the work. And it's there's there are some deeper seated issues with wellness that we need to look at. We need to look at the profession as a whole. We need to look at how law schools are marketed and um, how much they cost. We need to look at the legal market. And the reality is that there are larger issues at play, that if we really care about well-being, that doesn't work with a 2,400 billing hour requirement in a year. I'm sorry. There's just, that's not possible to care about wellness and say, you must bill 2,400 hours in a year. Right. And, you know, that's not immigration attorneys. Most, I don't know if any immigration attorneys have billable hour requirements and the big firms must know it. I think that my age group out of law school at the big firm, I think they're paying them 350000 a year, maybe before. And then with the bonus, it's like $500,000 a year. It's a lot of money. And you do that. I can only imagine because, you know, that is your entire existence. That doesn't seem very healthy to me. But I have a lot, but I've got a lot of friends who are in that world and a lot of them seem okay. I don't know. Maybe it's not for me, but it also is indicative. $500,000 buys something, right? Correct. It buys resources, uh, the ability to delegate, and you're giving up your life 
essentially your, your life is your time. I think that might be why both you and I chose this field. And don't get me wrong. We both work our butts off as well. And sometimes you're wondering why you're not making the 500,000 a year at the big firm working just as hard, but also it's not 70 hours a week all the time. That's right. We have, we have a um, more balance. I think most immigration attorneys, although there's the other side of it, when you're deeply entrenched in the outcomes for your clients, you care about your clients because it's their lives. It's not their money. It's not, our clients are not corporations in general. I mean, sometimes, but in general, at the end of the day, even if our clients are corporations, it's the people that we're trying to bring over here. That has a whole other level of stress. You know, we have a lot of practitioners who cannot separate their work life from their heart, essentially. And that was my problem at the beginning as well. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of issues. And, and I know a lot of attorneys who are immigration practitioners don't have billable hours requirements and still work themselves to death for a myriad of different reasons. I had a colleague once who told me that she was solo, completely solo. And she took pride in the fact that she punched holes, did her own hole punching. And I was like, you are billing clients, essentially, when we think about how much we charge for our clients, your time, you went to law school, you are an expert and you're punching holes. Like that's not an efficient use of your time. We can utilize delegation in a way that allows us to spend our time wisely. Right. And, you know, my, my provocative question about well-being based on that initial name was a bit unfair because there is so much more, even if you can't make the workload less, there's certainly a way of dealing with it that helps mental health. And looking at your podcast episodes, you've got 41 now, and they've got these titles like the courage to change, the struggle, constraint, authenticity. Each one is a different concept to help you with your everyday life as an attorney. And I know from listening to your podcast and reading some of the things you write that one of your big things is time management. Without time management, you have nothing. Is that is that right? Absolutely. I start with time management with everything. Even with my one-on-one coaching clients, I start with time management. All of my courses that I've done, time management. I speak on time management. It's something that we're not taught. It's amazing. It's something we're not taught. We I used to have a to-do list. I mean, it was ridiculous. And what we do is we feed into that decision fatigue. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, that we can learn to use our time more wisely so that we can be more productive. So we're not sitting in our chairs for 12 hours a day working when really what we're doing is scrolling, deciding what to do next, getting stressed out, going back to something. I know a lot of my female colleagues will read emails, write emails, edit them, rewrite them, re-edit them. That's insane. (laughs) But it's a thing. It's a thing when you have our imperfection, when you're a perfectionist and you're scared to put things out there, you're scared to be wrong. You do things like that where you re reread, rewrite, you don't trust in yourself and it wastes precious time. Now, don't get me wrong. I reread and I am a perfectionist with my court filings and other filings, but sometimes the email, you just, you got to send it. Absolutely. And well, and the time management techniques that I teach would also be to, you know, yeah, when you do your court filings, chunk them out, you know, put the work into chunks so that you're not doing last minute uh, writing so that you can 
sleep on it, go back to it and edit it with fresh eyes. But I know so many people who wait till the last minute because they procrastinate and then they're trying to get a filing in uh, right before deadline. Or, you know, we use the BIA filing service, same day filing service. Thank goodness that exists, but it should not come to that. This this is the anti Ben Winograd podcast episode. I'm sorry, Ben, but we're gonna we're gonna undercut your business. I did say thank goodness it exists because you know sometimes you know things get you know misplaced, mailed to other attorneys. I've had to send briefing schedules to other attorneys that came to my office. But in general, we should be scheduling our time in a way that we are not up to the wire for a filing. Your stuff is, it's a lot more than that. Like you're, you're, ch- you're blocking off your day really like to the hour, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's 15 minute chunks. Yeah. And I, I leave holes. Sometimes I will leave holes. Uh, sometimes things don't fit, <laughs> but in general, instead of having a to-do list, I really recommend utilizing block scheduling so that every task that you have to complete goes onto your calendar. And that's the, that's the, the nitty gritty of it. Instead of having a task list or, you know, that is every day you look at a task list or I always start my time management seminars with how many people use their email as a to-do list, right? Every time you have to go back to your email, there's new emails. You have to decide what's the priority. And it's typically the same thing with a to-do list. It's just a list. There's no prioritization. There's no time frame, And, you know, we just get overwhelmed by all of the things that we have to do. So what I say is every week, get that to-do list, think of everything you need to do. And rather than have it on a list, get it onto your calendar. So you don't have to constantly think about what you have to do next. It's right there. You know exactly what you need to be doing when you need to be doing it. And the great thing with that is when your brain wants to tell you, you got plenty of time, you can look at your calendar and say, actually, I don't, it's all blocked off. I don't, if I don't do this thing right here, right now, it's going to eat into my personal time. And that gives us a little bit more incentive to get things done. You have to be incredibly selfish about your personal time. I've heard a similar thing by various federal judges about when they were in private practice, not taking the two-hour lunch and doing similar things as you're talking about, blocking off their time. And that's how they could leave at a reasonable hour and spend time with their family. I definitely don't do what you're talking about. I'm much more of the using my calendar and an Excel spreadsheet with dates to figure out what I need to do day to day. And it's been working okay for me, but I'm sure I could be doing it better. The problem I see with what you're suggesting, though, is that in and of itself takes time, right? That's like a two-hour, one-hour process every week to map out your calendar, to look into the future and figure out what you need to do. Absolutely. it's I say one hour. Um, my coach taught me Monday hour one. I've modified that for my clients uh, so it's more flexible for attorneys because we do have things that pop up in a way that don't pop up for other types of professionals. But yeah, spending that one hour to really hone in on what needs to be done for the week and planning it out will save you many more hours, at least 10 hours. So it seems like it is a, a you know a drain, but the truth is it, it really saves you time in the long run. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. So I don't actually spend an hour these days planning my weeks. I have a pretty good system and I kind of do it as I go. But I definitely recommend someone who's starting out to take the time and just really figure out what needs to be done and getting it all into that calendar and you save time. And there's this other part of it, which is like, we carry a burden when we don't really know what we're supposed to be doing when we're doing it, it weighs on us. So 
this way you're kind of freed. You release a lot of this energy you have to expend on deciding what to do next. So if you just have deadlines, it's like, I have all these looming deadlines and not how it's going to get done. And this really establishes the how. So I think it's very liberating. The first time I show people an example of my calendar, they tend to panic. The truth is, the truth is, is that it's, you know, our workday is not the time to be spontaneous. It's structured. And the more structured that we can be, the more we're spending our time well, we're being more productive. And then we get, we get to leave. Like you, like you said about the federal judges at a reasonable hours, enjoy our personal time, really knowing that everything you need to do for the next day is, is there already. So you don't have to worry about it. You can actually just enjoy your time. Watch Yellowstone. I don't know. Or go to Yellowstone. Exactly. <laughs> what, what you said about the weight that resonated with me a lot. I, I find that when I've got a big brief coming up or I haven't given something enough thought, I do feel that weight on a Sunday or on a Monday or, or on a Thursday. Really, I'm just naming dates of the days of the week at this point. I feel that weight until I've wrapped my head around it enough and done enough work that I feel like, okay, now I know what I need to do. And for me, that's what I need. I need to know that I'm on the right path. And if it's just sitting there, I go nuts. And it's, it's, a, it's a weight. It's a, it's an anxiety inducing weight. Absolutely. And it's actually a weight that we feel not only in our minds, but in our bodies. And so we carry that weight. So I'm kind of crunching up my shoulders and that's kind of what we do. Um, I know we type like this, we, you know, scrunch ourselves over, constrain ourselves into little balls and then wonder why we have such like neck and back pain, um, which then radiates down our whole Uh bodies. You know, when you're 40, it's like everything hurts now, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. (laughs) Well, it's coming. But for the record, because I mean, this is a podcast, you guys can't see what Laura is acting like. But when she was describing what it looks like to to type, she kind of looked like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, all like scrunched up. And and I guess that's I don't know what 40 looks like, I suppose, but I wouldn't know. But just so for so everyone gets the image. (laughs) So it starts with time management. And that's very helpful. And it's something I need to get my head around. And you've got podcast episodes about it. And it's what you do for your trainings of lawyers and other professionals. Yeah. What about some of the bigger issues, the mental health stuff, the feeling of inadequacy of of being overwhelmed? You talk a lot about the imposter syndrome on your show. What's going on with that? And what can attorneys who are feeling that way do about it? Well, I don't know how deep to get here. But What's going on there is essentially insecurity. It's our brain trying to protect ourselves. Our brain is always interested in survival. And that's whatever strategy it uses as a protective mechanism or protection mechanism is defensive. And whenever we're defensive, we're not taking strategies that are really helpful towards growth. So I talk about something called the motivational triad. That's the idea that Our brains want to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and expend as little energy as possible. And the image I have of that, when you're in the center of that motivational triad, is like on the couch with a blanket, maybe some hot cocoa, watching Yellowstone. Okay, it's it's the Real Housewives, but could be Yellowstone. (laughs) Let's be real. This is an honest show. It's it's the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, but the 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 thing there is when you're on the couch, comfortable, wrapped in a blanket, you're not growing. You're not building. You're not creating. You're very comfortable. 
And that's where our brain wants us to be. And sometimes it adopts strategies that keeps us small. And imposter syndrome is our brain saying, you're not good enough. And it's not true, right? Whenever we have that sense of inadequacy, it's you're not good enough. That thought we have in our head. And the great thing about our thoughts is that they're not true. They're not true. They're just thoughts. And how we are taught or we adopt this idea that it's actually our circumstances that cause our feelings, our emotions, but really it's our thoughts. And when you can truly grasp that and recognize that we can change our thoughts, we don't have to believe the thoughts that our brain offers us in the first instance, literally every possibility opens up for us. And so that's really what I work on -on one-on-one with my clients is helping people recognize that they don't have to believe the thoughts that they're being offered and they don't have to feel the feelings that come from those thoughts because whatever we're feeling is going to drive our actions and that's going to create our results every single time. It's not the circumstance, right? I I can give an example of, you know, so-and-so made a, uh, I was going to cuss, sorry. So-and-so made a mean statement to me or someone said, you made a mistake. And we think necessarily that makes me feel bad, but it's not. There's an intervening thought there that thought that I'm not good enough. And that causes that bad feeling, which then produces actions like avoidance, or I call it buffering, using food or social media or real housewives (laughs) or, or whatever, overworking to avoid feeling that negative emotion of inadequacy. And when you're stuck in that pattern, you know, what ends up happening, even for us consummate professionals is we waste time. We're not spending our time for things that actually benefit us. And we're more stressed out. I got a follow-up question on that. And it's, I think it's a product of nuance because, oh, so we're in a profession being a lawyer and maybe it's changing. Hopefully it's changing a bit where projecting confidence is rewarded, even if it's not earned, not projecting arrogance, but projecting confidence. And so people get into their own heads by thinking that they don't have a right to project that confidence because they haven't, they haven't done enough to earn it. And that I think is what you're talking about, that people shouldn't have that mindset. By definition, all young lawyers have graduated law school and succeeded and passed the bar. And so they have these accomplishments and they can be confident They just need to not compare themselves to maybe the managing partner, but to their colleagues instead. But on the flip side of that, you're talking about people shouldn't feel like they're not good enough. Some people aren't good enough. Someone right out of law school is not good enough, shouldn't be taking an individual hearing in two months time without any experience. I mean, so sometimes that's a good thing to realize your limitations. Oh, that's such a great, that's such a great point. And and what I want to say to that is, Every single person is good enough. Every single person is worthy. And your worthiness and identity doesn't have to do with your ability or your experience. And I think the more you feel in touch with your inherent worthiness, the less likely you are to be arrogant because that's arrogance. Taking a case that you're not prepared for, that you have no experience with without mentorship is not only malpractice, <laughs> but it's, but it's arrogance. And it's, it's definitely somebody who is, you know, basically using strategies against defense mechanisms to make themselves feel adequate when 
underneath it all, they mm. also feel inadequate because somebody who truly knows their inherent worthiness, their in- inherent adequacy will seek help. They won't take on cases that are too complicated for them at their experience level because they know there's nothing wrong with asking for help. There's nothing wrong with asking for mentorship because we are good enough just as we are where we're at and asking for help is smart. For me personally, that's how I got to where I was or or where I am is because I was never afraid to ask for help. But when you have to project a level of confidence as a protection mechanism so that you won't ask for help, you won't be in a learning mindset. I think that is, that is very, very dangerous. And I think that that's, that's a nuance that I think is really important because what you say is it serves us to be confident. It serves us to be competent, but you can be confident without being arrogant and without believing you should be at a different place than where you are. Right. It's about maybe the difference between professional worthiness and all young lawyers usually have much more to learn. I myself, you have much more to learn and realizing maybe your limitations there. That's not to say you don't go beyond your limitations, but you do so intelligently and with mentorship. There's that. And then there's the inherent worthiness of you as a person, you as a learner, you as someone who is deserving. And as you're saying, everybody has that. Yes, but not everybody believes that. And that's what's interesting is that part of one of my coaching philosophies is that all roads lead to self-worth. And what I've realized is that every single maladaptive behavior stems from some sort of inadequacy in ourselves that we are projecting somehow. And that's what's really, it's really fascinating. So when it comes to professional adequacy, I would say part of being a competent attorney is dealing with your mental health, dealing with your wellness, so that you're able to seek counsel, seek mentorship, and learn, be willing to learn, being open to learn, so that you can be the best attorney that you can be. We're going to end this show on a high note, but we're not done yet, because I am very interested. It's it's really affected me, this attorney and former Miss USA attorney, Christ. Obviously, you don't know what happened to her, but you're familiar with the concept. What is going on with these attorneys who take their own lives, who do destructive physically and emotionally destructive behavior? What do you do and what can we do to avoid these fates? Well, I think it's really important for anybody who is struggling with any thoughts of suicide or suicidal ideation to speak to somebody. I know there's the um, suicide hotline and reaching out to somebody is so important. And I want to say this, I know that um, in talking about suicide, we have to be very careful because it has a tendency to be contagious. And that is when somebody like a big name, like this woman commits suicide, any, sometimes when people are on the brink, they feel like, well, she did it. So maybe I can do it. And so I just want to say that if anybody is experiencing these thoughts to recognize that you're not alone and there's strength in that and to reach out and get help because there is help. So in terms of what's happening for people in our profession, feeling like there's nothing more to life or they're in so much pain that ending their life is seen as a a good choice. It's really, it's really tough. We have a profession where we have the highest rates of suicide, the highest rates of substance abuse, 
highest rates of depression and anxiety and not enough focus on our mental health. What causes that? I think it's the pressure. I think it's the stress. I think it's the workload. I think it's the isolation. I think it's the fear. I think that when you, there's, there's so much that culminates to produce these things. And, and I can say this, I, I myself struggled with substance abuse issues. I'm, I've been sober for two years. I'm very open about it. I talk about it because I want people to know that there is hope. You don't have, you know, you can have your issues and there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it always, issues are always a way of not feeling right. It's suicide, not wanting to feel the pain anymore. Substance abuse, not wanting to feel the feelings. So you numb out Mm. even things like social media, even things with overeating. They're all ways that we use to not feel our feelings. And I think that the more we recognize that, the more we can adopt strategies to say, well, if the worst thing that I can feel is a feeling, I'm willing to feel any feeling and rather than repress it, because what we have often, and this is like Buddhist psychology, the Buddha talks about two arrows. One is like the initial feeling and then the, all the other crap we put on top of that. So, you know, I feel bad for feeling bad. I feel bad for feeling inadequate. You know, we, we layer on the negative emotion. When you can start to lift up those layers um, with mindfulness, with thought work, with therapy, if necessary, with medication, with coaching, whatever it takes to start to take off the layers and start to be willing to feel that underlying emotion. You don't have to seek escape. You can just feel the feeling. And actually most emotions uh, last no more than like two minutes. That's good to remember. That's you, you don't, you don't think that when you're in it. Well, what happens when you're in it is you have the emotion and then you continue, you keep thinking about it. So the more you keep ruminating on it, the more, you know, you're, you're, you're driving that emotion to last for longer. So it's, it's a product of our overthinking, but, and if we didn't overthink, we would have the emotion and then it would, it would pass, but not, not humans. <laughs> Unfortunately, but you can learn to not let it be a problem. Like, yeah, somebody cuts me off in traffic. I feel really angry about that. And then I realize it's just traffic. I can let it go. I don't have to shoot the person or tailgate them or, you know, break check them. I don't know, whatever. You don't have to do it. It's um, because, you know, I'm not going to let my anger that's a moment mean something that it doesn't mean. This person has set out to ruin my day by cutting me off in traffic. What a d- let me go chase him when it's really just somebody, you know, didn't even notice you were there. So a couple of things. <laughs> First off, you being in Miami, you're I mean, it's, it's necessity that you don't get ticked off by traffic. I mean, you would you wouldn't be able to function if that was a trigger for you. But more importantly, I'd just like the record to reflect. I've been doing this podcast now for going on two years now. I've got like a hundred episodes, never a curse word. It's the wellness, it's the wellness coach who has now used two curse words. You are going to be the one that makes me check that box on Buzzsprout for the first time that this episode contains explicit materials. And I just, I love that it's the wellness coach that brought me there. Is explicit? It's not not, it's, and before that was crap. 
So that now, is now not, that is not crap is not a curse word. I let my eight year old say crap. My 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 listeners are mostly in their late nineties, so you know that's I've got you got to play to the crowd. You know that you got to get the downloads up. If I lose that demographic, I'm screwed. I got you. You know we sound we sound so negative about being a lawyer, but both you and I love being a lawyer, and not only that, we chose to be lawyers. For me, I love the game. I love the case law. I love the puzzle of putting it together to do it for your client. That's why I've got the podcast. Some people go all in with their clients and and feel for them. And I do as well, but I can only go to a certain point or else it just becomes overwhelming. Like you were saying, you, you gotta, you gotta block off your personal life from your client. And I care deeply. I care. I am all in when I'm litigating for that individual, but you have to have a wall. These people literally pay us to take on their anxiety and burden. That is what an immigration attorney is, is someone who's paid to take on the worst moment in someone's life and get them out of it. I am curious what your strategies are for keeping your mental sanity by being the best advocate you can be, the advocate that your client deserves because they deserve someone who's in 125%, but also being able to take a step back and, and save your mental health. Absolutely. I love that you asked that. Yeah. First and foremost, we have to have boundaries. We have to have boundaries with our clients, with our romantic partners, with our parents, with our children, with our coworkers, with our bosses. We have to have boundaries. And, you know, that's a whole episode on on what boundaries are and what they're not. A lot of people think boundaries are controlling other people. It's not. It's just establishing consequences for how you want to protect yourself. So there's that. We have to have boundaries with our clients. So because we have clients who are often in very dire circumstances. We feel like we have to accept cases after hours or accept calls after hours or be 100% available at all times. And that's very detrimental to our sanity, to our mental health, to um, having time away. So it's really important for immigration attorneys, especially family law attorneys, criminal attorneys to establish very clear boundaries with their clients and learning how to not accept late night tests, phone calls, or, or just not respond to them. And I want to say this other thing. One thing that I realized when I first started practicing, I did a lot of detained work. That's how I, I did pro bono detention work at Chrome. That's how I learned everything, basically. Right. <laughs> you know, And I it's, highly it's, recommend that if you're a new practitioner, hmm. do some pro bono detained cases. They move fast and you know, it's a really great opportunity to learn. I have the hurricane. 100%. But it's it's really stressful. And you have your clients. We we feel the desperation of somebody who is in immigration detention. Right. And I used to believe, you know, that it was all on me, that I had to save them. I was like a hero who had to save them. And that is so unhealthy. And I had to learn that, that what is my role in this process your your role is not to be your client's savior. It's to be your client's advocate. And that is the key. When you are wrapped up in what winning makes you rather than mm. what it does for your client, that's where we get into problems. Now you're and- getting me. Now, now I don't like that one bit. I'm going to have some things to think about <laughs> tonight. Now you're starting to attack me a little bit. And this is my podcast and I will not stand for it. I have to think, of, I have to think about that if Man, that's what I'm doing. I had to think about it a lot. 
because the ego, the ego loves to be fed. The ego loves to talk about how important I am. Like I remember like winning my first asylum case, my first attained asylum case. I saved someone's life, but it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the law. It's about my client. And it's about being that zealous advocate. And I think taking pleasure and celebrating wins is really important, but not making it about our identity. Because when your identity is wrapped up in a win, it gets wrapped up in a loss. And so there are some cases that we're going to lose, not because we're not great, but sometimes our clients didn't tell us the whole story. Sometimes that's never happened to me. I'm, I can't. You must be a bad attorney. <laughs> Sometimes you win an asylum and you find out your client was actually a lawful permanent resident. Of <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. You, you had a, you won an asylum case once for a green card holder of Italy. A oh, green- of Italy. I know. Okay. Yeah. Of, of Italy. Of, of-, of Italy. Yeah. Um, wow. So that was fun. Yeah, now that's that's uh, that quote's great. If you if your identity gets wrapped up in a win, it's going to also get wrapped up in a loss. That's um, I believe strongly you have to celebrate the wins, as you just said yourself. But you have to remember that it's about the client and not not about your identity. You're a good person no matter what happens, so long as you have done the best you can. Absolutely. And and that's the thing. I, I completely agree with you. It's not just immigration law that is throws negativity at us. Actually, our brain has a negativity bias. So Dr. Rick Hansen says our brains are Teflon for the good and Velcro for the bad. And it's just survival. It's it's evolution. We are hyper aware of negative. So I think that one way to combat that is to be hyper aware of the positive and celebrate every single win. Even if that win is finishing your brief a week before it's due, yeah. <laughs> and if that win right. is you know, I didn't answer the email after hours. I think celebrating every single win is huge, but exactly what you said, it's not our identity, whether the case is won or lost. As long as we know we're doing our best in an incredibly difficult system, that's what matters. And one thing that I have learned to accept is that my client's karma is not my karma. And one thing that I had to learn over the years of practice is I did not make the decisions that brought my client to me. So now my client's here. Now my role is to advocate for that person and do the best I can by strategizing, by listening to your podcast, by knowing what's out there. And, you know, I really try to, to empower my clients in that as well so that they can make decisions for themselves. Because I think that immigration law is very disempowering. So to the extent that I empower myself, I empower my clients, that we can find the best outcome possible. That outcome, it's not part of my identity. It can't be. Your client's karma is not your karma. I like that too. As would my mother. And she'll listen. So thank you for all of that, Laura. Some really great tips in there. This interview took a turn that I didn't expect it to. Quite frankly, I didn't know what was going to happen, and I'm really happy about it. And to be clear to all the young attorney or law student listeners, both Laura and I are very happy with our careers. And so you should not even think twice about becoming a passionate immigration attorney. That being said, 
I'd like to end on a high note. How can we end on a high note in the realm of joyfulness, wellness? I don't know the state of the world. What do you got for me, Laura? Well, I want to say thank you for saying that because I'm, you know, people have asked me, are you going to do the joyful attorney full time? And I'm like, no, I love being an immigration attorney and we need passionate people to be in this field. That's why I started the immigration, the, sorry, that's why I started the joyful attorney is because I saw how many of our colleagues were uh, considering leaving the practice of law. I I know a lot of people who have left immigration, um, have left the law practice in general, but actually we have an important role in society, no matter all the lawyer jokes and how we're viewed by lay people. But the truth is that we took oaths to uphold the constitution of this great country. And I really believe in that. And I believe we should find a way to make the law work for people who want to do justice. So that's why I started The Joyful Attorney. And yeah, I love being a lawyer, but I also love helping lawyers find their joy. The fact that you even exist, Laura, and that people like you exist, and that this is actually something that attorneys and other business people are concerned about, employee well-being, attorney partner well-being, I think that's a great step in the right direction. This is actually something that our society is starting to care about the quality of life, not just the hustle mindset, not just the work, not just us doing a job, but our identity being more than that or different from that. I am encouraged by the change that our society appears to be doing. And so I thank you for being part of that. You are the Joyful Attorney. The podcast is available on all podcast platforms. You're a fellow Buzzsprouter like me. You're also on Apple and Spotify, helping attorneys find joy, harmony, and balance in their practices and lives. So thank you for being on the show. As I always ask, do you have anything else that you'd like to say before we go? Until next time, stay joyful. <laughs> it's like, like I was listening to the podcast right in my own feed. No, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a delight. I really enjoyed um, our conversation and I hope it spurs more conversation. Thank you for your time, Laura, and uh, I'll see you on the airwaves. We're such dorks. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review, and send us a tweet, at ImReview, that's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review.